Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And you're You're about about to to Get get Jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 153 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood episodes 7 through 9, where Ed and Al spend days looking at cookbooks. Ed and Al fight some people who are totally empty inside and Ed decides that you should attack someone who is trying to apologize to you. When someone is apologizing to you, you must first shake their hand and then pull them by said hand into a full-on throw so that the person knows that you sincerely accept their apology. Just, uh, just some facts for you guys. Those are apology facts. Let's jump in. Sometimes when I read the number of the episode, I want to replace it with the name of the Pokemon who corresponds to that number. Sometimes I I think to myself, Blake is too obsessed with Pokemon. And then he says something like that. And my worries are solidified. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just here to confirm all of your deepest fears. Yeah. So... Uh, I'm hoping this is going to be up before this episode is up. Hopefully I'm going to get the go ahead to post it like first thing tomorrow, but either you are listening to this when it has just come out or about to come out. We had a unreal interview that we got to be a part of because we are connected with our amazing podcast community of the geekly grind they are fantastic and so here's what happened (laughs) i got i got a message from our beloved leader he told me hey what are you doing on wednesday afternoon and i was like well i'm not sure what's up and he was like Oh, nothing. We got asked by the people over at Funimation if we could do an interview with three of the stars from the new season of My Hero Academia. Uh, so that happened. <laughs> uh, it was amazing. Uh, I have so many things to say about this, actually. First of all, it's not a secret that Spencer and I are big fans of My Hero Academia. It comes up periodically on the uh, show. But- huge fans. <laughs> Yeah, we've never covered it other than one of our crossover episodes covering the first movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we talk about it periodically because not only is it hugely popular, but it is exceedingly deserving of its popularity because of the high quality storytelling that that corresponds with that series. So um, we definitely mention it here and there. Uh, I... I would say this was a big get. We we talked to Justin Briner, who we've actually spoken to before. That was way back in 2018. Yeah. And we were at our very first Kumori Con, which was actually our very first con as a podcast. Yep. Yep. And we were not initially set to talk with him because he was probably the biggest guest at the convention. Uh, and uh, we were, you know, one of the smaller outfits, but we were uh, hanging out in a in a place uh, in the the press room to see if, you know, anything came along and some of the people that were supposed to interview him, I don't know, never showed up or some, something like that. And uh, because we had been nice people and had been very courteous and gracious guests, 
they offered the interview to us. Uh, so, you know, there's an object lesson for everybody. Always be nice. You're always auditioning. That's what you learn in theater. Uh, and you should just, I think it's a good policy in life. Just yeah, to- for sure. I, I think, I think it's always very important to remember if you're ever going to be a part of any sort of outfit that is working with people at conventions or working with people in any sort of sense where you have to make an impression on them the first thing yeah, even you in should a, do in any environment in a business environment whatever like if you're if you're in as an area where somebody that could potentially be intersect with your future career goals would ever be you're auditioning <laughs> yeah and my big thing about that is that you should always have something in the back of your mind that you should number one be nice to the people that have invited you to do a thing and number two you should be courteous of the things that they are going to need because if you are somebody that lives up to that expectation or exceeds that expectation for those people it's sometimes as easy as just being on time or early for things and then just asking if they need anything a lot of the times people will just respond back to you in a very amazing way a, a great example of this is obviously the uh, Kamari Khan thing, but another good example of it is we've reached out to different people to do crossover episodes that we never expected them to be like, yes, let's do a crossover episode. But if you're just nice and ask, sometimes people are like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah, and then you know you might get to be able to do an interview with uh you know Justin Briner and Clifford Chapin and Anaris Kinyonis mother's basement. I think it's I think it's Kinyonis is how you pronounce her last name. I, I believe so. So I'm very I, I, bad that was at something pronouncing. else I wanted to say. Uh, so we talked we talked with Justin. We talked with Clifford. Uh, Chap is it Chapin? Chapin? I think it's Chapin. Chapin. Uh, that sounds right. So Clifford, he voices Bakugo. Uh, if we didn't say earlier, Justin voices Deku. Uh, those mm-hmm. are two of the main characters, Justin being the, the main main character. Um, Anaris uh, is new to the season. Her character shows up very briefly at the end of season four. Um, and uh, it is my understanding, I have not read the manga, so I don't know how, but uh, it's my understanding that she will play a larger role in season five. Spencer probably knows how, but I don't. Uh, I super know and how. <laughs> <laughs> she was so cool. And I wanted to say, I thought the interview was really good. Uh, it was a 10 minute interview. It was a little more, it was less loosey goosey, like let's hang out and talk and be friends than Spencer and I, I think usually want our interviews to be at like a convention because it just didn't fit the format. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the big mistake that we made is that a lot of our questions were about how the show has been in your experience and uh, Aniris has not been on the show almost at all. She only, ha- I think she said she had three lines yeah, I, in the previous season. I felt season. bad about that. <laughs> I felt terrible. She got a really good answer in on one of the earliest questions. Yeah. And then I think she felt very uncomfortable a- after that. And that's totally our bad for not anticipating that and pivoting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in the off chance that she's listening to this, I'm, I'm very sorry for, you know, handing you some uh, unfair questions given your tenure, particularly talking alongside Justin and Clifford, who have obviously been with the show from the beginning. Um, you know, I feel really bad uh, for not being able to highlight you more. 
Uh, and I, I really, I hope that we can speak to all of them in the future, particularly Clifford and Anaris, because we haven't spoken to them one-on-one before, mm-hmm. but, uh, I really, I really look forward to hopefully having the opportunity to get a more in-depth interview with Anaris specifically, because she seems like an absolutely lovely person. Mm-hmm. She had a really great answer to the first question. And then, uh, I think if we had more of an opportunity to connect with her and ask her more questions that were better suited to her specifically rather than to like this show as a five season long thing, then I think, I think we would do a better job. And I think we, we owe that to her and she absolutely deserves it because she seems like she's very talented and she's going to bring a lot to the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that this is just one of the things that happens with we, you know, we've had a chance to do some interviews. However, we haven't done them really in a press junket style yet. Yeah. Um, so this is very new for us. And also I get so incredibly nervous before things that are going to be like a press junket or something like that. I was so nervous with that, especially because there were so many mistakes you made. If you guys do interviews, or even if you just watch a lot of interviews, if you watch this one, you'll probably be like, it's not a bad interview, but man, Blake and Spencer could learn a few things about making a smoother interview. And, uh, I, I definitely hope to have that opportunity too, because, it was so cool and we're so like excited and grateful about it, but I, it was a tough format for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But um, I anyways. also <laughs> in the lead up to the, in the lead up to this interview, uh, I spent like five days nonstop watching my hero academia from the beginning to the current episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was grueling because I was trying to accomplish this with no skipsies. Uh, by the time the interview happened zero skipsies backsies (laughs) yeah we we had less than a week i believe between finding out that we were going to have the interview and having it maybe i'm misremembering that but i do i do remember picking up the show like the day before you told me about the interview and then being like well i better double down on this so uh all of my free time in the last most of the past week has been just me watching my hero academia just hardlining Uh, it (laughs) yeah and let me tell you the show is more than good enough to accommodate that and Mm -hmm. and as somebody who does not like to binge watch things some shows are so good or so compelling that they will you know cause me to do so and my hero academia is one of those yeah even re-watching sequences that i knew what had happened sometimes i forgot the details uh but i I knew more or less how it was going to shake out uh, I was still so engrossed because it, it's so good and it's very high quality. And uh, it's also an extremely well-told story that I don't have the time or will to get into right now, but someday I will get on my soapbox for like 45 full minutes and talk about in great detail, what makes my hero academia such a well-told story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, to that end, I think Spencer and I are going to be, putting out a, a my hero academia special in your very near future listeners yeah it's going to be on monday it's the monday pod that's coming up the the weekly jump that we're going to be doing is going to be a primer for season five uh mostly because we got the amazing chance to do this interview and then also yeah because both of us have just completely gotten primed i have made the mistake of reading all the way through to the current chapter of the manga as Foolish. well. Uh, yeah, I was going to do that thing where I sat it down again for 50 chapters, and then I was just like, there's like 20 chapters out. I'm just going to read these. 
And then I got to the end of it, and then I am at a massive cliffhanger right now, and it is oh. infuriating. So yeah, the cliffhangers in the show are also excellent. It, it's top tier. Uh, so we're gonna yeah, we're gonna get into that. I think fight, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna talk through each season. I haven't put. I'm gonna put together some notes. This is kind of off the cuff here, uh, listeners. But I'm gonna put together some some general broad strokes of what happens in the season. We'll talk through what goes on in each season and kind of tell you the story from start to finish so that if you have seen it, but not recently and you'd rather listen to our episode to get caught up for season five, than watch all the episodes in five days like Blake did. Uh, then you can do that and uh, we'll put spoiler warnings. Uh, it's going to be full spoilers, um, but obviously we won't be going into great detail of everything because it's, you know, 90 episodes of content, mm-hmm. but uh we we will be giving you the broad strokes. You will know the major fights that happen and who wins them and uh, those kinds of things. Uh, I'll, I'm going to be advocating for, and sometimes we're organized enough to do this and sometimes we're not. So we'll see, but I'll, I'll be advocating for giving seasonal spoilers. So we'll we'll start with season one spoilers, do all of season one before talking about season two spoilers, et cetera, et cetera. And so that way, if you're only a few seasons in, like I was recently, you can stop listening at the point when we will start spoiling things for you and then go watch it if that's what you want to do. Uh, also, if you want to check out season five, it is available now. The first two episodes are available. I think the third one will be out by the time you hear this, but I don't remember exactly when it comes out. Yeah, unless, uh, you're, unless out. you're a dub watcher exclusively yeah. and the the dubbed episodes are coming out on Funimation tomorrow from where you're listening to this so saturday yeah and Um, the dub is super good so no shade if you're waiting for the dub it's extremely well done yeah this is this is one of those times where you you finally have a moment with a huge anime that is coming out that is as as well dubbed as some of the the biggest anime that have ever been dubbed correctly and I, I yeah. would I would put I would put my Hero Academia's English dub up with the likes of something like a Cowboy Bebop or Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Speaking of I would which, too. I, I've watched uh, uh yeah, I, I was gonna say I've watched all I've watched the first three seasons in full of My Hero Academia in the original, and I've watched all of it available so far, with the exception of the, the two new episodes, which I also watched in the original because the dub's not available, but I watched uh, all four seasons of my hero academia sub or, or sorry dubbed uh s- having seen both i can't tell which one is better i think they're both so so good so yeah, yeah uh let's transition yeah speaking of uh subs dubs and all of the aboves uh, we are gonna scrubs. gonna jump into our previously on full metal alchemist and man i uh, before we get started with this i just want to say this is one of my favorite dubbed anime. I I loved the original Full Metal Alchemist the way that it was dubbed, and this one I have been watching it exclusively dubbed, and it is so good. I I tried to watch it subbed as well, and I felt like I didn't get as much out of it as this one, which when I watched it dubbed. And I think the biggest reason why is because Fullmetal Alchemist is just so visually rich that it's Mm. one of those that if you are taking the time to read the subtitles, you are going to miss a lot of the the physical cues that are happening on screen 
there's little tiny twitches in the eye. There's little tiny movements that happen. There's things that are happening slightly off screen that you might miss. There's just a rich world that you might miss if you are reading the sub. And I, I think that's to the detriment sometimes of badly done dubs. And I think that we are finally in the age where there are a lot of good dubs of a lot of big anime that are out. And I just, I love that. Yeah, all the people who grew up knowing that the dubs were not doing justice to the original series are now working in anime. And so uh, <laughs> the problem is is sort of solving itself uh, in, a, in a really lovely way. So yeah, I, I would say as we've said a thousand times, I've become much more of a dub fan and will probably watch the dub, you know, nine times out of the, out of 10 or more, uh, that because of our experiences getting to talk with the people who are doing this work, but it has also taught me that dubs are actually much better than I remember to them being, uh, for the most part, uh, there are definitely exceptions, but, uh, you know, and, and we were really, in a golden age of dubbing, I think like the, it's just, everybody knows what the deal is. Everybody knows what the anime fans want. They're not, they're not messing it up for American audiences because they think that they want to watch the same thing without the same story or something like that. Uh, so it, it's a good time to watch the dubs and this is a good one. Yep. Okay. So what happened previously on full metal alchemist brotherhood? Well, uh, full metal alchemist centers on a pair of brothers named Edward and Alphonse Elric uh, Edward's, I don't know, 15 or so. Uh, Alphonse is a couple of years younger than him. And uh, they went through some pretty bad tragedy when they were growing up. Their mother got sick and died. And then they tried to use this world's magic system to bring her back to life. And it went terribly awry. The world's magic system is alchemy. It uh, is sort of loosely based on the idea of alchemy in our world, which is not a real thing that you can do but is something that a lot of people have talked about uh, throughout history, which is to say turning a substance into another substance. The most common example being turning lead into gold. You alter the, the molecules and the, the makeup of the thing to turn it into a new thing. This takes that concept and makes it anime by allowing people to, you know, do things like igniting the air in fire and pulling spears out of the ground and all kinds of cool stuff. Um, so Ed and Al are sort of prodigies of this because their their father uh, is uh, presumably, I don't know that we've actually seen much of their dad, but we know he's an alchemist. He had lots of books on alchemy uh, that he left behind when he went off to do whatever the hell he was doing during their childhood. And while they resent him, they are fascinated by the alchemy and they take to it very, very quickly and very early. Uh, once their mom dies, they decide to use alchemy to bring her back to life. Because there are a few rules in alchemy, and one of them is that the one thing you don't do is try to bring somebody back to life. And they, as pretty young kids at the time, uh, I, I don't remember if, I think Ed is, again, being the oldest, I think Ed was like 12 at the most, maybe nine, somewhere around there. Um, they're really young, but they're just, you know, they're prodigies. And so they're like, the reason people shouldn't do this is because it's hard. And not because of any other consequences. And they are wrong about that. And uh, Al's entire body is taken because there's this other rule in alchemy called equivalent exchange, which is that you can't get anything without giving something of equal value in return. And so in order to try and bring their mom back to life, Al's body is taken 
and Ed spins his arm and leg, getting it back, basically. Uh, that's a little reductive, but uh, that's more or less what happens. Uh, once he gets Al back, he creates a blood seal uh, because he didn't get Al's body back. He only got his soul, and he binds that seal to a giant suit of armor. So now Ed has a prosthetic metal leg and a prosthetic metal arm, and Al has a prosthetic whole body that is just an empty suit of armor, and they are walking around looking for this thing called the Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone is a sort of mythic object that they believe actually exists, and there's some evidence to that that they've discovered already in the story that uh, allows you to break the laws of alchemy, specifically the law of equivalent exchange. They want to do this to fix their mistake, not to try and bring their mom back to life again, but to try and get their bodies back to the way it was before they made that initial error. Uh, the Philosopher's Stone theoretically will allow them to do that. Theoretically, they wouldn't be able to do it without that because they'd need to trade a whole body and an arm and a leg. Uh, so that's not a good deal, but the Philosopher's Stone can help them make that deal without hurting anybody. They're on a big search for it. In the meantime, this dude showed up called Scar. He comes from a a, a different ethnic group. This is kind of... Yeah, his uh, ne- his ethnicity is Lion. <laughs> there, Yeah, the the setting is sort of... Did you, get, uh, a, did you get the joke? It's because he's no, like I, Scar I, sorry, from cut out. Lion sorry. King. <laughs> perfect uh so so ed, ed and al they come from a more or less uh eastern european kind of place sort of designed after like at post world war one germany i believe and um scar seems to be coming more from like a middle east inspired group and that group is called the Ishvalans. They live in an area called Ishval. And uh, the country that Ed and Al are from treated the Ishvalans very poorly in the past by going to war with them and basically committing like war crime, uh, ethno-cleansing atrocities against them. Uh, they now are basically a people relegated to living in like slums and squalor and it's pretty rough scar is upset about that and is particularly upset about the role that alchemists played in that because alchemists in this world can become something called a state alchemist where they basically become a specialized branch of the military you take a little test the military says you're good enough at alchemy to work in the military and you get sort of carte blanche lots of money but you also have to serve as a soldier if asked uh, they served as soldiers, not Ed now specifically, but uh, other alchemists, some of whom we know, served as soldiers in this atrocious war, and Scar is trying to get revenge on pretty much any state alchemist he can get his hands on, which is important because one of his hands decomposes things, and so you don't want him to get his hands on you. There are also some mysterious characters. We've seen a woman named Lust and her companion, a big boy named Gluttony. And Gluttony has eaten a few people so far, and Lust seems to be a sort of evil behind-the-scenes mastermind. And we don't, I think at this point in the story, know much more about them, but they're uh, they're pretty important. Um, in the most recent episodes that we covered, Ed and Al uh, came across a man named Marco. He used to be an alchemist in the military as well. He specialized in the kind of stuff you would need to know to make a philosopher's stone, which is exactly what they want to find out. And he told them where he can find his, uh, where they can find his research, which is at a library back in Central, which is the capital city that they they work out of 
for much of the series. So Ed and Al are going to, uh, after their adventures from last time, they're heading to Central to go to the library where Marco's research is housed to finally uh, unlock the secrets of the Philosopher's Stone. And I think that's all you need to know for Episode 7. Great. So Episode 7 is called The Hidden Truths, and it starts out with Ed and Al coming to find some books. And it turns out that because they were trying to find Marco's research, and it sounds like somebody told Lust and Gluttony, they were like... Somebody (laughs) once. I was like, I was waiting for you to pick up on that. Anyways, they they decided they were going to be like, you know what we should do? We should just completely destroy all of the evidence in a fire or an explosion. It turns out that that's going to be their solution for most things, but we'll see that again in yeah. a little bit. So when they get there, they find that everything has been burned. However, they uh, are told that there is somebody else who might have some more information about this back at headquarters. So that's where they go. Meanwhile, in the sewers, there are Ninja Turtles. No. Uh, Scar. <laughs> Can you and- imagine? <laughs> yeah. Scar is down there running around, just just being himself. And why uh, is he in the sewers? I, I guess don't he's know. a wanted man, and he is in the city where the most people who are trying to find him are. So he's probably just trying to move around without being detected. But it's not really explained, and he's just in there. And I was like, okay, yeah. So okay, he's playing night crawlers. <laughs> yeah. So it it turns out that. One of the things that Gluttony can do is sniff out the person that he wants to eat. And he has a scent for Scar. And so he is able to sense him by smell being very close. And so they decide that they're going to go and catch Scar and try to kill him before he is able to get get a hold of Edward Elric because they do not want him to kill Edward Elric and he is going to be messing up their plans. So they don't want them to do that. So they go yeah, down. This is the first we're hearing of that uh, up until now. We, we have seen these characters involved in events that Edward seemingly by chance found himself involved in. That's not me alluding to them, making him get involved in them. I, I do believe it was largely by chance, but they have, also been keeping an eye on him, I believe, independent of those coincidences. And uh, so this is the first time they're voicing that. Okay. Yeah. So so the first thing that happens is that Scar is going to turn around and he's going to land a blow on Gluttony as Gluttony flies at him from, I guess, he's has the ability to also swim super fast. I think Gluttony I think he's is, just so big and strong that he can move that quickly while ignoring water resistance. Yeah. Or uh, poop resistance, as it were. Yeah. He flies through the air at Scar. Scar is able to hit him at the side, blow off one of his arms, and then right before he is able to turn around and strike another blow, he is stabbed what seems like it might be a fatal blow by... Uh, lust and then he makes an explosion and we are left to wonder if he died or survived 
And then we're going to cut away from that. If if we haven't explained it yet as well, Lust's power it has, is the ability to extend her fingers like little spikes that shoot through the air. They're like tentacles, stabby things. And so she is able to stab Scar. It looks like it may have been fatal, but we're not going to know about that until a couple episodes from now. She's like uh, Lady Deathstrike with a lot more range. Yeah, a lot more range. Um, a lot, yeah. Lady Deathstrike's pretty, pretty up in your face. So she, she's that, but she, she really has the extendo equipment going strong. So, yeah. Uh, Ed Nal, they're gonna, uh, they're gonna meet this girl named Sheska. Uh, Sheska is, is sort of the bespectacled, book obsessed stereotype girl, uh, and she is so into books that she either innately has or has developed the ability to perfectly remember any book she's ever read, which is wild. I don't even think like there are some people in real life that have photographic memories. Uh, Even then, I don't think that it works quite like this. This is definitely the anime version of a photographic memory. Um, Yeah. Yeah. She has like the mind palace from, uh, from the Sherlock show. (laughs) Oh uh, yeah, there's also uh, what's that manga samurai something Tokyo Shinobi Squad. Tokyo Shinobi Tokyo Shinobi Squad. One of the characters develops the ability to basically become a supercomputer for storing information. It's that same thing, but it's not. It does not seem to be supernatural. It seems to just be the, a thing that she can do. Yeah. So she all, all I can is think like, about right now is that have you ever have you ever seen those like old uh, old cartoon things that are like uh, the the uh, uh, it's like the GI Joes except for they're overdone. Yeah. Where he's like, I'm a computer. <laughs> <laughs> Pork chop sandwiches. Uh, yeah, so she's she offers to uh, re-transcribe uh, from her memory the books that were lost in the fire, and Ed and Al are like, hell yeah, that's exactly what we need, because, you know, we're not like book collectors, we don't need it to be the original print run, we just want to know what's in it, you know? You know what I mean? Like, we just don't need to go through all the, like, first edition <laughs> hoops. Um, and she's like i got you so (laughs) she i apparently over the course of several days she transcribes these uh but uh it does not feel like it because they immediately cut from her agreeing to do this to her giving them the books and then uh they're like uh they have they have these two other people from the military that are with them because scars around and tried to kill them recently and so now they have extra guard duty just in case. And those people are like, I thought you said this was alchemic research, but actually it's just cookbooks. And Ed and Al are completely not phased by this because it turns out that in this universe, making cookbooks as a code for alchemy is like a thing that's done. And it sounds like people, like alchemists will put their research and sort of like the formula for the tricks that they've learned in the form of recipes. But there is, there's like a code that you need to break so that you can figure out which ingredient stands for which alchemical ingredient. But once you know that code, 
you can figure it out, but sort of like the convention of making cookbooks as secret alchemy textbooks is is just used broadly. And so they're not phased by this. They know that this is exactly what they need. And all they have to do is crack Marco's code, which takes them like no time. Yeah, they, they, they're really, really transparent about the fact that like one of the things that you have to do inside of this world with alchemy is that you need to make sure that alchemy is not to be used for evil. And it's one of those things where, because it is basically a science in, in, in quotes, you know, inside of this world, it is something, yeah, it's something that if you have the ability to do alchemy, uh, or if you are somebody that knows how to do alchemy, and anybody apparently can learn how to do alchemy. Uh, because of that, you can teach anybody to do something horrible if they know exactly how to do it. It's just it's figuring like, out the scientific method for it. It's it's like if you wrote down how to make a bomb, anybody. Oh, I was going to say it's a like bomb. It's like bleach and ammonia. Bleach and ammonia, two very common ingredients found in many common cleaning supplies mm-hmm. household cleaning supplies but if you mix bleach and ammonia they create a toxic gas that's very 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 dangerous and can kill you dead very quickly mm-hmm. and you don't have to be a scientist to know the mixture and you don't have to have a lot of skill to make the mixture and it is super dangerous if you don't know what you're doing Mm-hmm. super dangerous if you do know what you're doing but you know i guess a scientist could make it in a sci- you know a controlled safe environment for some reason but you in your fucking house are not going to be able to do that uh and so you know you should not and it's super dangerous but you can and all you need to know are the ingredients and it is possible that you know some jackass will uh make a joke or make a uh you know a post with ill intent or something like that claiming that the mixing of these chemicals is something else Mm -hmm. or that you should mix them and find out what happens. And then you have accidentally created poisonous gas that might kill you real fast. Yeah. And uh, don't the alchemy is kind of the same way. Like all you've got to do is know how to draw the circles that you need, know how to put the ingredients together and then you can do the alchemy uh, I don't know. There may be exceptions to that. Maybe it's not for everybody, but it's for more people than are alchemists. And so it's, uh, it's a dangerous tool. And the cookbook is a pain that the alchemists are taking against, you know, lay people getting their hands on it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Ed and Al spend many, many days trying to figure this out. Ex- exactly 10, I think, uh, to figure out exactly what is inside of these notes. And one of the things that they find out is that the main ingredient in creating a philosopher's stone is human life. And yeah, they are the philosopher's very stone is soylent green. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um philosopher's stone is people. <laughs> <laughs> so they they decide that this is awful, but there must be more to it uh because Marco gave them a very cryptic thing which is basically that there is truth in the truth. And they were like, okay, so there has to be more to this. So let's go to the place where he was doing his research. And 
they found out that he was doing his research in one of four different laboratories. There are um, these four different laboratories, some of them that they've gone to, some of them they haven't yet, but they haven't found any information at them yet, and they they don't really believe that any of these laboratories are going to hold any additional information, and so they look around for something else, and Ed spots very quickly, he's like, hey, what is this building? It says Laboratory 5, but they're like, no, we don't use this building, it's condemned, it's it's not structurally sound, and so we don't want people to go inside of there. And he's like, that's the place. This is where they're doing the secret research. And I know this because right next door, they have a prison, and they could easily get people to test this creation of Philosopher's Stone on by those people that are being condemned to death. And they could just go on the record books as being, you know, put to death and end up being unwitting guinea pigs to be turned into Philosopher's Stones. Yeah, not great. So they're definitely both convinced that this is something, and they uh, escape from their handlers. Uh, Basically, they they do one of those tie-in-the-sheets-together ropes out of their window at night uh, while the, the guards are posted outside of their door. And they make their way off to the fifth lab. And when they get there, uh, they find one. I thought this was a really nice touch. They get there and they see that there are guards around. And they're like, well, I don't know why you would guard an abandoned, condemned building. So we're definitely correct. And then they find a place to break in. And it turns out that there is an air duct that they can get through. Except that the air duct is way too small for Al to get through because he has a giant, you know, suit of armor for a body and so al has to wait outside while ed who's fairly diminutive uh makes his way through the air duct to get into the laboratory and we will see that there is also a spooky figure watching over al as he is separated from his brother and that takes us to the eighth episode and this takes us into episode eight the fifth laboratory this episode we get to have a just sick fight scene Basically for the entire episode between uh, both of the brothers fighting against their respective enemy. The enemy that Alphonse is going to be fighting against is Barry the Chopper. Um, Why he is not Barry the Butcher is so frustrating to me. I cannot explain to you. Um, (laughs) He used to be Barry the Butcher, right? Like when he tells his backstory, doesn't he say that? And then they change him to Chopper because, I don't know. (laughs) Because he he you know chops things instead of him butchering things whatever anyways edward is fighting against uh another person called slicer and i say person but what i really mean is that these are suits of armor like alphonse they were death row inmates that were instead of being put to death they were sealed inside of suits of armor to serve as undying guards that never have to rest or eat or anything inside of this building one interesting not super plot relevant point is a comment that ed makes where he's like somebody else had the same twisted idea that i did like ed came up with the idea to bond al's soul to this suit of armor in a moment of desperation and uh somebody else came up with the same plan like they didn't they didn't read this in a book and then, you know, have the same 
experiment for two different reasons. Like somebody else came up with this and I don't know that that matters at all in the story, but I thought it was just sort of like a really interesting kind of very slight, subtle kind of fringe world building aspect of like the creative applications of alchemy that makes sense within also the rules established by alchemy. And I really, I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the thing that I took away the most from this episode to begin with is that when they decided to start doing world building inside of full metal alchemist, especially the manga that this is obviously based off of, they put a lot of time and effort into figuring out different ways they could uh, play on the sins of different characters inside of the world and give you the good side of things and then the evil side of things. And if you start to think about them inside of this sense of, like we were talking about before with a scientific method, you can always take something to a good side of science and take something to the bad side of science. It is, it is something that is a tool and a tool can be used for good or evil or something neutral, basically. But yeah, it's, it's just, it, it really plays on the fact that it's not, it's not alchemy's fault inside of this world. Alchemy, alchemy is not inherently good or evil. All alchemy is, is a tool. And because of that, it plays on the demons of the humanity inside of the world. And I, I love that. It's one of the things that makes the show so deep and rich is that you're really digging into the demons that people live with day by day and how they have to come to terms with the way that they're going to live inside of this world that also has, you know, this magical aspect to it. It's, it's yeah, just it's a sort great of show. Building, <laughs> it's building moral ambiguity and finding yourselves tempted with or being forced into something that you, you don't morally agree with in order to accomplish something good. Yeah. Or... You know, it's just, yeah, it it handles that really well. But I think your point is really good that like the system of alchemy and the way that it's utilized in the story is a really good supporter of the idea that like this story is about people being forced to make tough decisions and being put into scenarios that don't always have a way out that lets you kind of maintain your own personal moral standards uh, and, and that that really like wraps well together with the the magic system of this world. Yeah, um, yeah. So I also I'm not sure how pervasive this is, but I've seen a few people online talk about this story section that's going to come up. So Alphonse is fighting against Barry the Chopper, who used to be a serial killer, but then he was put on death row, uh, killed, and had his soul bonded to this armor. So now he's a guard, and Barry makes this philosophical argument to Al. And I have seen some people react really negatively to this. Um, It does not appear, if my memory serves, it doesn't appear at all in the original anime. Uh, I assume that it's a part of the manga, but I might not be correct about that. This might might be Brotherhood anime only, which is that Barry suggests that Alphonse never existed that the idea that Ed had a little brother whose body was lost is a fabrication made by Ed 
and that the memories that Al has of being alive were created and implanted by Ed to create a brotherly bond so that Ed could have a giant suit of armor as a sort of partner-servant automaton that believed itself to be a real boy. And Al is thrown for a loop because, you know, initially Barry is like, how do you know you're real? And Al's like, well, I remember being real. And Barry tells him that that is not an inherent proof of your previous personhood, that this could be something Ed created along with him in the first place. Uh, For some reason, neither Barry nor Alphonse address the fact that this could also be true of Barry. Uh, because Al does not know the story of Barry the Chopper, the serial killer, when he was still alive as a person, uh, when Barry retells it to him. And I think that's supposed to indicate to us that Barry has been dead longer than he realizes, and his story has fallen out of popular discourse. But uh, in this instance, I, I was a little confused why neither of them thought to be like, well, if that's, you know, we don't know that that's true for Al, but uh, if you're arguing that it could be, how do we know it's not true for you also or instead? And uh, they just don't address that. I wish they had, but it's not super relevant because what is relevant is that Alice super shaken and it causes him almost to lose the fight against Barry the Chopper before Barry is forced to flee. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really, it really does mess with his head. It It's like, yeah, and people, I, I saw people didn't like that. I thought it was really interesting. I, it, uh, it definitely doesn't, we we will resolve it by the time we're done with this podcast episode, but uh, I think it's interesting. I don't know. It's a it's a cool philosophical argument that I think is worth this character spending time considering, even mm-hmm. though we all know that he was real. Like it's not true, and we know that. Uh, but it's an interesting and believable challenge that the character faces. Uh, yeah. But apparently, some people didn't like it. Uh, I do. So you know, if you're out there silently also liking it uh, me too <laughs> okay then the next part of the fight is going to be between ed and slicer uh he is going to be really backed into a corner uh, the first and foremost way that he is backed into a corner is because he thinks he has gotten uh completely ahead by doing a hey look over there maneuver and uh, he does look over there, and he gets a jump on him, and he knocks off his head. But it turns out that Slicer is actually two different brothers that are sealed, one into the body and one into the head of the suit of armor. They are fighting in tandem, and the body is able to attack while the head is disconnected. And so uh, he he gets stabbed right before he... Takes a fatal blow, though Ed is able to remember what Scar did and just break apart the suit of armor right before he gets stabbed. It is a really cool moment. Um, And right before uh, the climax of this episode, the very last, you know, big moment of this episode happens, he has a moment where he's like, all right, now kill me. It's not like I exist anymore because we're in this suit of male body now. And he tells him, he's like, no, I promised that I would never take a life. And if you are saying that you're not a person because you're in a suit of armor and I were to believe that, 
I would also be believing that my brother never existed and is not a real human being anymore as well. And I can't accept that. So I am not going to take another life because it's not it's it's not something that I am willing to do. A great yeah, it's interesting. For Ed's Ed. kind of Ed is sort of unwittingly refuting the issues that Al is now uh, toying with uh, mm-hmm. out in his own fight, which is pretty, pretty, pretty good parallel writing. Yeah, and because of this, Slicer is like, you know what? You have treated me more like a human being than I was treated before I was put to death. And so I'm going to tell you what you came to learn. And right before he's able to do that, though, Lust rips him apart by stabbing him through his blood seal and cutting him in half. And then right before his brother can do anything, he is then stabbed a bunch of times by Envy. Uh, Envy has shown up. Envy has shown before. I believe Envy showed the power of uh, changing between forms. Uh, yeah, that... there's a, a priest that Envy is pretending to be because the real one was killed. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen Envy before also. Um, I think I forgot about Envy showing up earlier in a more prominent role, which is why I didn't mention him in the previously on section. I'm also not confident that anybody has called him Envy yet, and I don't know that they've called him that in this episode either, but I'm probably misremembering that too. Yeah, um, but... The the big thing that you need to know about this is that number one, they are uh, almost uh, they are almost going to be forced to kill Ed when Ed's arm fails, his auto mail arm fails, and he is not able to fight. And so Envy's just like, great, that means that I don't have to kill you, and I'm just gonna knock you out. And so he knocks Ed out and takes him out of the building right before they're just like, Hey, you know what we should do more evidence. Let's blow up the evidence. So remember what we did with the library a few (laughs) days ago. Yeah. They also specifically say that Ed is too important of a sacrifice to die now. And as we discussed earlier, we already saw that lust and gluttony tried to take scar out because of the threat that he posed to Ed's life and because they have decided that Ed is important. But I believe that this is the first word, the first time they use sacrifice in relation to Ed, you know, continuing to live. And they also say it in front of him while he's still conscious. Uh, It does not come up in the next episode, but uh, I don't remember how it plays into the episodes that follow today's coverage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Ed and Al have, uh, escaped, um, you know, Ed being carried out by Envy, uh, Alphonse having basically won his fight with Chopper before Chopper is actually even able to deal with him because as it has been revealed, Alphonse is the better battler um, and has always won all of the hand-to-hand combats and sparring that they've ever done together. Um, but that takes us into our next episode uh, which is episode nine, Created Feelings. And this episode is all about uh, emotional bonds. Um, so Winry is called up to work on Alphonse's automail arm. It turns out that she forgot a screw inside of inside of his arm, and that's why his arm failed. Um, he thought it was just because he had been pushing his arm too hard. <laughs> yeah, and, and so- then she... 
she's she does something that's kind of shitty here, which is she is so upset because Ed is injured and he is injured in no small part because his arm failed him in the middle of a tense situation because it was missing a screw that she saw was missing after he left from his repair session last time. And she lives in a small town far away, so it's not like she could just call him up and be like, hey, I forgot this thing, come on over. So she kind of crossed her fingers that everything would be okay, and it wasn't. And she sees him in the hospital bed, and she's so contrite. And she's just, like, she's honestly, like, she's clearly beside herself, upset at what has happened and feeling so responsible for it. Rightly so. But before she can confess to him that this is because she forgot to install a part and then neglected to tell him that she forgot to install that part, he takes the blame by saying that he was pushing himself, which is true. And maybe his arm would have given out anyway, although I don't think so. And because he takes the blame, he reveals to her that he is unaware of the mistake that she made. And she immediately changes her tone and starts like shitting on him for making this error. And I was like, that sucks. Like you're a pretty cool character most of the time, but that is some bullshit. Yeah. She, uh, she's just like, (laughs) Oh wait, I'm not in trouble anymore. Cool. Uh You have to pay a bunch of money. (laughs) Now you're in trouble. Yeah. And she already said she wasn't going to charge him. (laughs) But then she was about to explain it was because she made a mistake and then he spoke too soon. Never speak too soon in a negotiation. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, here's the other thing that's going to happen inside of this episode. There is going to be a very, very tense, tense air that is floating around Alphonse because Alphonse is convinced that he is not real. Um... Uh, Barry the Chopper has gotten into his head and really, really messed with him. And because this happened, he tells Al, uh, like he tells Ed that he doesn't believe that he really existed and that he is just an amalgamation of memories that Ed put inside of a body. And that breaks Ed. And the reason why is that in a previous episode, he was about to tell Alphonse something. And Alphonse is just like, this is what he didn't want to tell me. He didn't want to tell me that I wasn't real. But it turns out the thing that he didn't want to tell him is how brutally upset Ed is at all times that he wasn't able to save Alphonse's body. And he feels like it is all his fault as the older brother. Uh, We get a great flashback moment of him laying on the table as he was being worked on by Winry and uh, her grandmother beforehand uh, when he was getting his auto mail done and he was having a complete breakdown. It's it's a really it's a really intense moment. And well, he reminds you of how complex of a character Ed is. Yeah, he's not he's not just upset that this happened. He is, like, terrified that Al holds it against him, specifically. Mm-hmm. And to, honestly, this is maybe a little intense, but it, it kind of reminds me, like, as a, as a gay man, of the fears of coming out when you're like, I have this thing that I am worried that you're going to react really negatively to, and I kind of don't want to tell you it because I'm so afraid 
that it might ruin our relationship, even if there's strong evidence that it won't ruin our relationship. Like, I don't know. I can think of all, all these friends that I had in high school that were totally cool with it. And there were was tons of evidence that they would be totally cool with it. But before I told them, all I could do was think about like, if they, if I bring this up, our relationship is over. And I'm so afraid of losing this relationship that I would rather not mention it. And so like that fear really makes a lot of sense to me because it's like, even if Ed and Al are like super tight brothers, which they are, and even if they they are in this together and they they have the same values and they they've got each other's backs, it makes sense that Ed is worried that either Al has never thought of this in quite those words, uh, or that he is sort of processing it and that he is going to yet at some point bring it up, but maybe he's sort of belaying it or allowing it to kind of like simmer harmlessly under the surface until uh, Ed brings it up. So bringing it up is just dangerous. I don't know. It just, it makes sense to me. It really spoke to me a lot. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of really, really heartfelt moments inside of this episode um the most ridiculous of which is when renry goes over and meets (laughs) meets uh oh gosh a hughes's daughter (laughs) Uh, yeah there's this guy in the military maze hughes his character trait is that he is a super laid-back nice smiley happy dude who is obsessed with his daughter and his wife and won't shut up about it to anyone. And it's very charming. And now Winry is staying with them and is also kind of becoming obsessed with his daughter, definitely in a different way. She just thinks that his daughter is real cool and is a a cute kid. And then Hughes is like doting father, like all about it. And it's really charming. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, I don't know, man, this, this episode is just so chock full of feels. Um, Yeah. It's going to leave the episode with uh, with uh, Alphonse knowing that he is what Ed is going through. Um, they have a, a great sparring moment where they just connect as brothers again on the roof. And then our final moment inside of this episode is finding out that, surprise, surprise, Scar isn't dead. He was saved uh after being pulled out of the sewers by a couple of refugees from Ishval, um, or Ishvalans, uh, refugees that are living in part of the town. And, uh, he is going to connect with them and be brought back to health by them. And, uh, we'll find out what happens with him in some more episodes that are coming up pretty soon. Anyways, stick with us after these credits and we'll talk about what's coming on next time. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind podcast network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 13 sound wizard. 13? Did he jump even more levels? He gained a lot of experience by defeating the Dark Lord of Smooth Jazz. Do you mean Chuck Mangione from King of the Hill? Rashad is the King of the Hill now. Damn it, Bobby. Anyway, our podcast is ad-free, and if you want to keep it that way, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. 
Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Get Jumped. Also, we have a Discord server. You can find the links to that on all of our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New review episodes come out every Monday, and new rewatch episodes appear every Friday. And hey, thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Jeremy Snow, owner and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind. We interrupt your awesome, regularly scheduled programming to ensure you're aware of the Geekly Grind podcast network, of which this show is a treasured member of. If you haven't had a chance to check out our site, you can do so at thegeeklygrind.com, and while you're there, take a look at the other members of our steadily growing podcast family, including the anime-centric Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, discovering new heroes on Comic Book Keepers with Chris and Lance, exploring the vast universe of geekdom with Geeksploration, or appreciating animation's finer details with JD's Ink and Paint Club. Escape your weekly grind at the Geekly Grind. Next time on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Kill La Kill, episodes 16 through 18. Look, I'm not saying that there's going to be even more nudity and rainbows inside of this episode than a gay pride parade, but uh, I don't know, man. They're definitely pushing it. We'll put it to the test.